Wow, last year we saw so many films flop that it's not even funny. Disney, Marvel, DC Comics, Star Wars, Doctor Who, all the usual suspects got paid in exposure, but not much else. We did, however, see several breakout movie wins in the year 2023, as well as some really good streaming shows. What did we love? What did we ignore? And how can Christians best discern the supposed get woke, go broke stories and their critics? Welcome back to Fantastical Truth, the podcast from lorehaven.com in which we explore fantastical stories for God's glory. Usually that's Christian-made stories, but in an episode like this one, we take a quick detour on screen. And I'm Steve Burnett, the publisher of Lorehaven and co-author of The Pop Culture Parent. And I'm Zachary Russell, and I'm currently wearing glasses with my hair slicked back. So that is my alter ego. And this is episode 194, Which Villains Beat the Superheroes in 2023? Flopbuster films. Now, I just realized that that is a leading question, as I am wont to do occasionally for the podcast title. We did not ask, did villains beat the superheroes in 2023? Because that is a given, with the possible exception of two movies that did a little bit better. Uh, lots of superhero movies. An equal opportunity here Marvel and DC, folks. All these superhero movies, all of these shows just flopped the villains beat them but who are the villains what is their secret identities zach and i will get into that later not just about superheroes but about some other uh, pop culture franchises the ip is uh getting forgotten there's lots of issues going on and we look forward to probing into that along with a uh, plenty of snarky youtuber but we're going to try to be a little less snarky about it Hey, uh, it's still kind of the post-Christmas season, right? So we still have uh, some treats left over from the holidays. I'll get to our concession stand in a moment. First of all, if you want a great story, we have at Lorehaven started the Voyage of the Dawn Treader book quest in the Lorehaven Guild. That is our castle in the cloud on Discord, and you can enter it by subscribing free at lorehaven.com. We just started, if I'm right, uh, that book quest on Monday, January the 8th. So there's still plenty of time to get in there fascinating to explore the world of Narnia that is not the land of Narnia, but the sea around Narnia. Just subscribe for at lorehaven.com, get those updates, and join the Lorehaven Guild. Another great book that's out is a new one released just today from our top sponsor, Enclave Publishing. It is called Waters Break by Sophia L. Hansen. What if fear itself is the deadliest undercurrent of all? In the wake of her world's violent reformation, Nika's family is shattered. When the rookie guardian leaves the safety of the deep to find her sister, she is abducted by strange land walkers who possess strength and technology beyond her imagination. Nika realizes that the disaster from above was by their design, a calculated plan to terraform the water planet and conquer her people. All Nika wants to do is find her sister and swim home to safety, but with the land walkers closing in, escape may not be possible. And if Nika can't save herself, how can she hope to save her sister or her people? Enclave Escape presents Waters Break by Sophia L. Hansen. It is on sale today, January 9th, wherever great YA books are sold. It's also available as an audiobook on CD from Amazon, in digital format on Audible, Spotify, and through libraries everywhere. You can see that cover, get all the purchase links in our show notes for episode 194, or go to slash podcast sponsors. Zach is a bit of a nautical theme with those last two recommendations. Uh, first on Treader, the older book we're exploring in the guild, and then uh, Waters Break. So let's swim into the concession stand. Of course, uh, Lorehaven, as I mentioned, we focus on Christian-made books, fantastical novels. That is our bread and butter. 
So whenever we talk about on-screen stories, just in case you found this episode in the wild and don't know much about Lorehaven yet, I would say that this is a side quest for us. Uh, This isn't the Christians Talk About Pop Culture podcast. We've actually made a decision uh, to keep that as a side quest. Our main quest is Christian-made stories, good ones anyway. But of course, we like other stories too, or we want to like them. We want to like general popular culture stories. We are not paid to hate them. We're not paid to be critics. And I've noticed that even the critics who are paid will sometimes call out the stuff that they really enjoy. So that's the spirit that we want to do this in. Our our air here, as it has been in episode 144, which I'm not trying to remake necessarily or update for the new year, uh, our goal is to be disappointed and optimistic about the future, uh, not just blast the stuff that failed at the box office. Uh, any other concessions, Zach? Well, I would say in general, we have a optimistic attitude. Uh, just overall, that we think the future will get better. We've talked before about, hey, maybe we are entering the golden age of Christian fiction and Christian storytelling in general. So not just books, but uh, television, movies, uh, audio drama. And you know, we want to believe that there will be better things in the future. We are not doomers on this podcast that think all the good days are behind us. Now, it is true, if, if you've listened to this before, that you know my favorite bookstore is Half Price Books, not Barnes & Noble necessarily, even though I, I love going to both bookstores. But I go to Half Price Books because I want to buy the best books that came out 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, uh, because there has been a recent uh, you know, collection or hoard of books from many of the big publishers that are just frankly awful. So I, I think from a lot of big publishers, we aren't seeing all the best books. And from a lot of the big studios, we aren't seeing the best movies. But that doesn't mean overall we think the good days are behind us and everything's just going to be horrible. It just means that we think a lot of good storytelling is shifting to other types of models for story creation. So a lot of book publishing has become independent. And a lot of television and movies have become independent or even crowdfunded. So, yeah, I I think we're going to see better and better stories, many of them from Christian-made creators, just maybe not in the same way that we've experienced stories before. I think, too, Zach, that another concession I want to add is that we could come across as if we're saying, well, Hollywood's gone woke, so you need a Christian alternative. Therefore, I want you to uh, swallow this lame Christian-made popular culture that we're going to offer you. Uh, Hey, hey, mom, hey, mom, can we go to the movies and see superheroes? No, dear. We have superheroes at home. The superhero at home. It's Christian, and the superhero at home is Bible man, you know, or (laughs) Jesus man, or something like that. Son of man, now that could get kind of uh, blasphemous there. No, we want to find the best kinds of stories. And so we uh, root for great stories wherever we find them. And I think that sense of optimism is very important going in. By the way, I will try now that you've mentioned to Zach to remember to link that Golden Age episode in our show notes. But even if I forgot, you can go to lorehaven.com and just search for the words Golden Age. That'll probably call up that episode. I've actually been uh, busy over the holiday break uh, tinkering with the search engine at Lorehaven, trying to make it better. We want stories to get better. So let's go to chapter one before we talk about the superheroes who have failed, who got beaten by the villains. Uh, let's go to the heroes that actually won. There were a few of them who won the uh, large and small screens. Yeah, Zach's telling me that episode was 110, by the way, if you're looking for it. Heroes who won the large and small screens. Uh, we've mentioned a few of these, and I just uh, wrote a few down here. 
Star Trek Picard season three was good. It was absolutely the best of those seasons for sure, but it also is just great Trek on its own. And there needs to be a sequel series uh, under uh, the uh, people who put that together named Star Trek Legacy. Hopefully Paramount, which is financially flailing, uh, will see the light or get bought up by a bigger company or something. Uh, there was a while there, Zach, like Warner Brothers, which is even worse than Paramount, I think, was making noises about merging or buying them. And by all accounts I read, they got laughed out of the room. Nonetheless, you get some good TV over there. Uh, I've mentioned that One Piece, the live action on Netflix, turned out to be not terrible. Not terrible. Not only not terrible, it was great. Not only great, but you could call it anti-woke. Uh, it's not Christian but it is, I would say, culturally conservative when it comes to uh, virtues and adventure, honor and adventure, two really great themes from the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. I actually posted the other day a, a GIF of the ship from One Piece, and I said, I'm going to tell the kids that this was a very Narnian ship. There's a little bit of that Dawn Treader adventure feel in the series and the live action, although it barely got into this massive 1,200 chapter story uh, from Japanese creator Ichiro Oda. Uh, it got uh, a fair bit into the first arc, and it was really, really fantastic. Uh, Zach, I, I don't suppose you've gotten to see Godzilla minus one yet, but it is, I would say, the king of the uh, of the old year. Uh, right at the last, there coming in, smashing up Japan, uh, provoking all kinds of existential dread, as well as people questioning their anti life choices. A celebration of life. That was that monster movie. And uh, I got I got to say, I got a hold of the trailers early for that one. I'm not like some super uh, ancient classic Godzilla fan. Don't tell anyone. I've never seen a single old Godzilla movie. I'm working on it. Okay. But if I'm going to see a Godzilla movie, I want it to be a serious one. This is an earnest movie. Uh, there's some, you know, character based humor, of course, but uh, the darkness is for the purpose of exalting the light. And I just want to heartily urge, oddly enough, Godzilla. The original, the OG kaiju uh, in Japanese uh, as one of the heroes who won the large screen. And by the way, yes, it was apparently made for under $19 million or whatever it was. And even though it didn't make very much, it set all kinds of records for a, uh, an, another language film release in the United States. And it uh, positively ratioed its own budget. So that's what people look at when they're uh, monitoring the horse races in the movies. So Godzilla is the clear winner there. There were two Warner Brothers movies. I'm going to diss them, as is also my want later. Uh, Warner Brothers, of course, had a breakout hit of the year, Barbie. I think that was like the top grossing movie of the entire year of 2023. I did not see it. I'm just not in the Barbie fandom. I know there's all kinds of controversy over that, but it just it's not something that interested me. And at first, I was interested in the other kingpin of the year, Oppenheimer, Christopher Nolan's uh, film from his uh, new digs at Universal Studios. Uh, but Oppenheimer put some uh, naked person in there because art and all that. And I'm like, I'm sorry, Nolan. I'm I'm not your biggest fan, but I'm a big fan. And I just I really can't go for that. Um, still, it was a winner. Uh, the guy who made the bomb and uh, one of my favorite little micro genres on YouTube now uh, is people who show that Godzilla minus one was actually the sequel to Oppenheimer. Um, another movie I really want to see um, Wonka. I've heard all kinds of great things about Wonka. I didn't care about it. It's Timothy Chalamet as a prequel, Willy Wonka. Uh, but then I saw it was from Paul King. I believe that's the name of the director who directed the two Paddington movies, which are great. And so I thought, okay, maybe this could be good. And it was a slow starter, but it actually did turn out to be good. So Wonka is apparently uh, doing pretty well. Uh, there's an article linked in the show notes, uh, basically anything, but a few movies from universal studios just ruled the box office. I don't know how 
but they are just seem to be making all the best decisions and they're ducking all the political controversy. I think the most popular kids movie of the year was the Super Mario Brothers, uh, which uh, was so popular with so many people. And then uh, Sony uh, Animation Studios with their with their Marvel license, they made the movie Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse with Miles Morales, an animated film, the sequel uh, to the uh, the previous one into the Spider-Verse. We didn't see it in theaters, but I did see that, uh, I think, once it hit uh, Netflix or something. So I, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would, frankly, even though the animation kind of feels like I might get a seizure, although I don't. I'm not sensitive to that. It just kind of feels like it. So there's, uh, that's just six items there on my list, well, six to ten or so. Um, Zach, did you see any superhero movies like at all this year? No. But I did see some movies with some good heroes that I okay. didn't They're just not about. super. Okay. So yeah. what, which did you see? Okay, so uh, and I'll say at the outset, kind of a concession, I had mixed feelings about this film, but I, I do want to highlight some good things. It's The Shift from Angel Studios. This was a science fiction film with a lot of Christian themes in it, made by Angel Studios from scratch. Uh, from what I understand, it was put through their guild system, their crowdfunding. Um, it grossed $12 million on a budget of $6 million. Uh, so that's pretty good. They doubled their investment there, and can't say that about a lot of the uh, big Disney films. What is it? The Indiana Jones that had like a budget of $300 million or something like that. That's absolutely extraordinary. Yeah, and I, I think it made uh, not maybe half that. So that's it went, it went the other direction, right? I, I can't, don't quote me on the numbers, but um, and another Angel Studios film that was phenomenal success was Sound of Freedom, and it grossed $248 million. And I'll have to look up the budget here, but uh, I've got it here. Actually, the budget was fourteen point five million. That okay. is an insane ratio. Yeah. <laughs> and all of the almost all the marketing there. I mean, Angel Studios has their own app. They're the distributors of the Chosen. Yep. I believe it is a Mormon-owned company. So you know, just be a little it's discerning mixed. there, Christian. It, yeah, it yeah. doesn't make it a Christian movie, but it does make it a morally decent movie. I know there was some controversy about the uh, source material there, but apparently as a standalone story, a lot of people loved it and told their friends and they were off to see it uh, as an organic movement, not just, uh, you know, Christian or conservative support zombies. Right. I, and full disclosure, I haven't seen sound of freedom and neither have I. And it's mainly because of the subject matter. It has nothing to do with angel studios has nothing to do with Tim Ballard or, or anyone like that. It, it's just more it's i don't know that it's really a subject i want to i want to watch a movie about for some personal reasons but uh, th- but this the, the success of both of these two movies from angel this is what gives me a lot of optimism Stephen, that we are going to see more and better movies with either from christian creators or with christian values or or movies that, that christian fans would enjoy because just think i, I mean an extra six million from the shift—that's incredible. But Sound of Freedom, like a two hundred and something, thirty something odd million profit. Just think of what that money is going to do to launch the next set of movies. Now, I did say the shift was not up to my expectations, and I've I've talked about this on. Facebook. Well, the shift is science fiction, yeah. for example, so it's a tougher sell, but it should be an easier sell to you and I. You saw it; I didn't. Yeah. Um, what do you mean it was kind of mixed for you? So first of all, uh, it had some great actors in it. It had Neil McDonough, uh, McDonoughue. I don't know. I never know how to say his name. Yeah, he was a howling commando in the MCU for a short amount yeah. of time. I remember. 
I mean, I first saw him in Band of Brothers like 20 years ago. Uh, Sean, a- yeah, and he's he's the Neil McDonough is the villain in this, which is because of course he is, yeah, because villains don't have to kiss other girls. So he, which was his motivation, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a great motive to be a villain there. Uh, props based and uh, downright, uh, yeah, almost Christian of it. I don't know whether he's a Christian, I think he's Catholic, he's he's he a, be Christian, yeah. okay. Yeah, he's Christian or he's evangelical or Catholic. I can't remember. Well, he's not far for the kingdom anyway. <laughs> uh, so Sean Astin has a co-starring role, although he's uh, he's pretty prominent on the movie poster. Then it, it starred um, Christopher Laha, who's from a lot of Hallmark Christmas films. Oh, that's why I recognized his yeah. face. Not that I've seen a lot of Hallmark Christmas films, <laughs> mind you. He just has the Hallmark face. You know, yeah. there was a meme several years ago about the DreamWorks face. It looks like this. Yeah, you can't yeah. see it because it's a podcast, but that kind of like you know, that, that kind of snarky smile. Yeah, but there's also yeah. a Hallmark smile. <laughs> and then uh, Elizabeth Tabish from The Chosen, and also Paris Patel, also from The Chosen, and Jordan Alexandra. So three Chosen actors in it, which that was really fun all playing very different roles and you know it's it's basically a romantic dystopia so it's not a romance romantic comedy it's a romantic dystopia really more than it is a science fiction i wanted to like it i i watched it with naomi and our our big girls there were some interesting things we talked about because it's loosely based on job and so there were some interesting parallels there i i liked the way it ended which i won't spoil it was a surprise ending and I, I thought it was an honest ending. Production-wise, very well shot, lit, acted. I just didn't think the writing was that great. I, I think a lot of the dialogue needed a lot of work. I thought the world was barely explored. And it, it's it, the technology was fun because he shifted out of his reality into another reality. So there's sort of a multiverse thing, but not quite. And uh, it brings up a lot of philosophical questions, which were fun. I just think they left a lot of things on the table that they could have explored and there was there was too much telling and not enough showing basically was was the main problem. But again, as a first foray into speculative fiction from Angel Studios, hey, great job guys. Uh I I applaud it. I and it's a first time filmmaker and and it was really cool to see some of these big actors you know, get on board with it. And so that's that's also a positive sign. Uh, now, Sean Astin's actually been in a number of Christian films. I don't know if you're aware of that. I, I, we all think of him as from Lord of the Rings or from Stranger Things or from Rudy. Or I the only Goonies. think of him from Lord of the Rings. It's Sam <laughs> Wallace. That's, that's his name. Yeah. He has the little tattoo. It's, that's him. He was in, uh, I want to say it was Date Night, like a Christian mom. Basically, film. it means he is a Christian. If you appear in enough Christian <laughs> movies, then you get into heaven by it's side. Sort of like uh What's that? If you if you live with someone for a while, it's like a common law marriage. So he's a common law Christian. We're joking here, guys. We we are still <laughs> biblically faithful and orthodox. By the way, John Reese Davies, uh, another Lord of the Rings cast member, has also been in a lot of Christian movies. I think yeah. at one point he was Mordecai. So uh, he's he, voiced he definitely a lot gets around. Christian oh, he's voiced yeah. a lot of stuff. He's a he's a prolific voice actor. Yeah, the chosen uh, got a lot of its uh, actors, and, and there's there's kind of a chosen effect, as uh, Jennifer wrote about it, Lorehaven, uh, in terms of uh, this kind of level of production, because now you've got this this level of talent that's being cultivated in house, as it were, uh, with Christians and Christian adjunct uh, groups uh, like Angel Studios. And now you get to see the actors appear, and the actors have kind of their built in fan bases because of the chosen, but they also just are naturally 
better at what they do. Uh, another movie I'd, I had to actually check this one just now, Zach, because I guess it's been a very long year. Jesus Revolution came out this oh, year. Oh, yes. Now, Lionsgate was the distributor there, so a little more of a traditional channel there, but it was directed by the Christian uh, Irwin brothers. So there's two sets of brothers, at least two, that direct the Christian movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the, um, oh, bother, what's the names they do? Uh, Fireproof and all that. It's uh, Sher- Sherwood Pictures. Sherwood, yeah. Or, yeah, th- those guys are brothers. Um, and then there's the Irwin brothers who try to be a little bit more artsy about things. And overall, I enjoyed Jesus uh, Revolution. Um, very honest portrayal, it would seem, although obviously condensed, you know, shortening the, the historical account of the Jesus people from the 60s and 70s. Very hard look at the church and what they were going through there with the uh, revival season starting in California. Some historical figures being portrayed by actors like Jonathan Ralmi, who's Jesus in The Chosen. And I actually liked, um, I liked his character, but I also liked uh, Kelsey Grammer's character, uh, the pastor who has to deal with uh, this weird uh, hippie movement coming into his church. And he must be faithful to the gospel, but you know, also open uh, to these people. So just a really great story. I should see it again sometime. Uh, but it's encouraging to see more Christians leveling up their game. Like, you know, all due respect to uh, the, the fireproof guys, you know, the courageous guys. But frankly, they kind of seem to be in a rut. You know, they also pull in those amazing ratios of expenses to earning, and yet the movies only get a little bit better in terms of production quality. And kind of the dialogue and the moralistic emphasis of it seems to be the same. Whereas Jesus Revolution and a lot of the stuff uh, from Angel Studios, like they seem to understand that the beliefs are an end or a means to the character journey rather than vice versa. Uh, the movie should be trying to sell itself, uh, not sell a, a moral movement or some kind of a tie-in yeah. merch primarily. And I think that's what's kind of sidelined to the Sherwood Pictures growth. And yeah. they're also a little bit slower. Angel Studios just keeps cranking them out. I, I think the the common flaw with a lot of Christian films, just to briefly get on a soapbox, is when you have scenes that go on way too long with just dialogue. Because a film is meant to be a visual story. You should be able to watch a movie with the sound off and know what's happening. And I don't mean with subtitles. Or just I'm, generally know what's the, happening. The then. images should mm-hmm. tell you what's happening or tell you most of what's happening. You could at least answer reliably afterwards, what, what is it about? And you would yeah. not be entirely wrong if you watched the whole movie on mute and it was a good exactly. movie. That makes exactly. sense. Exactly. And, and I think, you know, we are an audible faith in a sense like we christianity spread firstly by preaching because most people were not literate although it was written down obviously we have the bible and and obviously we invented the christians invented the printing press um naomi and my big girls just got back from visiting the museum of the bible during a, a ministry conference and they got to see the gutenberg press and hey christians we we can take credit for the printing press and for books in general for the longest time, we mostly preached our faith, and then we started printing our faith the last 500 years. But it's only in recent you know, decades, at least the last century, that we've been portraying our faith through visual stories. And I think we just haven't quite turned the corner in how to portray biblical truth. We're, we're good at preaching and printing, but portraying is a and very singing. different art form. Yeah. And I, I think... You know, the audio dramas like The Adventures in Odyssey is the one we always talk about. That That's a really good kind of cross medium because it's mostly verbal, but because it's audio only, your mind fills in the pictures. And, and so it works really well. But you can't really take an audio drama approach and put it in a movie. 
like where it's mostly dialogue, like audio dramas are like 90% dialogue or something, but that doesn't work in a movie. And, and that's where I think Christian filmmaking needs to level up. And yet Christian movies this year, Zach, I think I just realized this is, no one's actually said this. We got a breaking hot take right here, folks. There was not in my notes. 2023 was the year that Christian made movies did better than superhero movies. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the math will bear this out. Like, I think the superhero movies probably almost assuredly made more, but they also cost more. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we call these next films. I'll talk about, you know, flop busters. Everybody's been saying, you know, so-and-so superhero movie may have cost $200 million to make and then earn $250 million. And you think, oh, that's great. Everybody goes home with $250 million, but they spent more than $50 million on the marketing. And when they spend a quarter of a billion dollars, they're expecting to get at least three quarters of a billion dollars and, and make it a solid investment. So that's why a lot of these movies failed. Uh, Zach, you mentioned uh, Indiana Jones, but uh, wait, how, I got to stop by our second sponsor first. Uh, apparently, audiences felt uh, that all these superheroes needed a calling, which makes me think of author Anthony DeGroot, who wrote a novel called The Calling Begins. Are you looking for the next Christian series you could get into? This series starts with The Calling Begins, a fictional story about 12 spirit oaks who guard Eden from the great deceiver. After standing for as long as anyone can remember, the spirit oaks begin to vanish from the world. Two opposing forces begin to clash. The Spirit Oak Chronicles will take you on a journey of faith, courage, and horror, all to save Eden. This is The Calling Begins by Anthony DeGroote. This first installment of the Spirit Oak Chronicles, available in paperback and ebook wherever books are sold. Links are in the show notes for 194 or go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. All right, chapter two, let's talk about the heroes who got beaten by real life villains without identifying too much who or what those villains are. Our last sponsor was Anthony DeGroote, uh, whose book I'm sure is going to be adapted uh, to an Angel Studios uh, drama near you because apparently Angel Studios is coming after everybody. But fans now are not coming after these superheroes. I do need to mention one exception. Speaking of DeGroote, uh, that character's movie did much better. Uh, along with the Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, got to call out Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, postponed from the Marvel heyday, uh, actually held its own. Uh, people were still interested in uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy, and that movie did pretty good. Now, I'm a hostile witness here because I am not a fan of James Gunn. Maybe he's just a hired gun, but I'm for Warner Brothers DC now, uh, but I do not like how he's been steering that ship. I don't like his attitude. I don't like his flippancy. I think his sincerity is put on. And anyway, uh, they saying this thing isn't even about him, uh, but it is kind of about him actually, because um, I'll, I'll talk about Marvel in a moment, but all every single one of the DC movies this year failed horribly. It was Shazam fury of the gods, the flash, Sinbad the most movie? expensive one. What's that? The Sinbad movie Shazam. Yeah, no, that that's in Earth Two, where there is a Sinbad, you know, a Shazam movie starring Sinbad. No, it starred Zachary Levi, poor poor guy. The Flash was, I think, the most expensive one. It failed utterly. Blue Beetle, people didn't even notice that one. And uh, Aquaman: The Lost Kingdom, it's probably still treading water in theaters, uh, but it's about to start sinking because it's a dead universe. They said it was a dead universe more than a year ago. Why in the world would people want to invest in this stuff? It's the weirdest weirdest public relations decision I've ever seen. Like they need to tell a benevolent lie and act like this is going to keep going. But obviously they feel like they are euthanizing this uh, universe 
which was uh, stolen, uh, appropriated from the original, more mythological-based uh, artwork of one Mr. Zachary Edward Snyder. Uh, but this is not the Snyderverse. This is the weird DC universe uh, co-opted by a bunch of executives, and, and people could feel it. People could feel this isn't going anywhere. This isn't serious. Uh, this is just kind of their best attempt at Marvel, only more expensive and less connected. Uh, and every single one of those movies failed. But then, in case you're a make-mind-Marvel person out there, your movies didn't do that well either. Uh, the Disney Plus shows flopped. Uh, was this the She-Hulk year? No, last year was the She-Hulk year. It feels like this year was the She-Hulk year. But um, Secret Invasion flopped. Um, Ant-Man, Quantumania, the movie theaters didn't do well. Uh, of course, everybody loves to pick on the poor, the Marvels, uh, which just, I think, flopped even worse than all of them. Uh, and even, I think, the better praised Marvel shows got very low viewership. I heard good things about Loki season two. I didn't hate Loki season one when I saw it until I just kind of lost my taste for all things Marvel. Uh, but season two apparently did okay. Uh, but by then, you know, just a lot of these shows have a lot more to prove. Audiences are not just going to watch them because it showed up. Uh, they're going to be a lot more discriminating. Actually, Zach had to, while I was doing the notes for this, I actually had to look up and see, okay, now how much Marvel stuff came out this year? And was there anything uh, that uh, broke some kind of record or something? No, no, not really. And there's so much Marvel stuff that came out. Like I actually still keep up with this stuff, even though I didn't see a single one. And I had to go remind myself about all those names and in what order they came out. Uh, on the dishonorable mention of Doctor Who, I probably ranted about that enough uh, this time last year, but Doctor Who got its original uh, revival creator back, Russell T. Davies, who brought back the franchise in 2005. So we had some hope. He was going to bring back some of the original characters, and uh, David Tennant is the 10th Doctor, now the 14th Doctor. It's regeneration, folks. It's complicated. Uh, but instead, he brought back legacy characters. He gave one a trans person as her child, adult child, saw the clips, absolutely insufferable character, even if you go for that sort of thing, which we don't, we can't, we shouldn't. And it was just so uber cringe. I mean, nobody needs to be critiquing evangelical made movies for being cringe and preachy when this kind of nonsense goes on and is subsidized by British taxpayers. Uh, it's one thing you got to say about Disney. You know, there's that whole mess of the state of Florida, but uh, my tax dollars do not pay Disney uh, to do whatever with their kids shows. Uh, the Doctor Who fans have their show uh, paid for by British taxpayers. It's a weird system they got over there. But the show itself just doubled down on subverting itself, making fun of its hero. I've seen the clips. Once was enough. Thank you. Uh, and then preaching sexual revolution garbage. I have seen the ratings for that. It, it's failing, and, and yet they're doubling down. They're they're like completely, utterly, steely resolved uh, in trying to defend this stuff. Why? 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 We'll try to answer that in the next chapter. Zach, remind me was um, was the Star Wars show um, Andor was that this year or last year? I think it was a year ago because we we canceled Disney a year ago. So we we didn't okay. watch Disney. We didn't have Disney Plus all of 2023. Yeah, and me neither. And um, yeah, and then you know, speaking of doubling down, you know, uh, Kathleen Kennedy, producer of Star Wars, just announced recently. This is breaking news that she's going to appoint a feminist activist who wants to quote make men uncomfortable as the director of a new movie starring Ray. 
Palpatine, Skywalker, whatever you want to, whatever last name actually is. I don't so you say it. Ray, and I think either Ray Gun <laughs> or Ray Comfort. R E Y. One is a diesel yeah. punk weapon, and the other is a street evangelist. <laughs> and uh, Daisy Ridley is quoted as saying, "Well, I haven't seen the script yet, but I know the story is amazing. It's like, so you know, they're, she they're really just, has a force. She's foreseeing the future. Yeah. Okay, right. So they're just going all That's in on identitarianism. You know that." Uh, and anyone who has a problem with this is a misogynist, of course, because their entire model now is to polarize the fan base and pander to one half of the sex binary and say, oh, this movie is for you. And it's because it's we hate the other half of humanity. <laughs> and if you have a problem with that, well, then you're the problem. You know, it's just it's just the same nonsense from Kathleen Kennedy. I just I can't believe this woman is still in charge of star Wars. She's just burned this fandom to the ground. It's, it's so sad. There's so many great talented people working with star Wars. Like Andor was a fantastic show. I loved uh, it. I still need to see that. Yeah. Apparently it was star Wars Snyder version that I don't know. I, I think it's got better reviews than rebel moon. So maybe I'd like that. So here's, here's how I'm going to sell it to you. Andy circus as a prison gang leader. Well, Andy Serkis has already been in Star Wars, <laughs> y'all. So that's double dipping. Of course, he is, you know, Andy the Flying Circus. Wait, what so was he, he in already in Star he Wars? He, he, was, um, he was in The Last Jedi, remember? He oh, was, the, so uh, you don't even remember. Snoke, it was the guy who was supposed Snoke, to be really supreme Snoke. leader Snoke. Yeah, you know, Snokes.com. Uh, busting <laughs> up your myths and uh, telling people that it's been, uh, it's been fact-checked. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he uh, got, yeah, uh, he got checked. Good. I guess he had a quick exit from the franchise. It's funny sure. that I, I thought the, uh, I thought it in episode, was it episode three where there was like the, the droid thing that had like the four lightsabers. I thought that was dumb, but then spoke or Snoke took the crown, but yes, uh, Andy circus was fantastic. Andor was much more of a gritty cyberpunk political thriller. Yeah, see, yeah, that's more my flavor, even if yeah. it's technically a 2022 show. So that was the last good Star Wars show. Yeah. Were there other Star Wars shows this year? I guess you didn't see them. There was Ahsoka. There was the Mandalorian season three. Oh, that which... one. Oh, my goodness. I'd almost forgotten. I kept up with it here and there just because I, I enjoyed season one like and two. But... They tried to just replay what, what fans liked about season one and two. So Baby Yoda apparently comes back. Yes, that well, that happened in the uh, Bo- book of Boba Fett uh, right. uh, spinoff. They they just rolled all that back. It is very clear that they had to hastily redo everything. See, and after I, they summarily dismissed Gina Carano, pretty clear to me. By the way, Gina Carano and Ahsoka are what give the lie to this idea that male Star Wars fans don't like female characters in Star Wars. We've always loved Leia. We that newer like because of the Clone Wars, we've loved Ahsoka. Um, Cara Dune's character was phenomenal because yeah, for lots of reasons, she was just a very believable, like grunt soldier. She was a believable muscle woman because she actually is or has been exactly. Yeah. And not only that, but she literally, uh, she legit has a heart of gold, not literally then she died, but no, she seems to be a very pleasant person. She's a paradox. What was great about Andor was Mon Mothma, who we very briefly see in return of the jedi you know many bothans have died to bring us this information and it, it's kind of a fun story even with her because they were supposed to bring mon mothma into the prequels and then something fell through and so then they brought this character to life for andor and she was a fantastic character in andor because it, it, again it's that 
it's that female strength in a way that uh, that is not just punching and kicking and shooting. It's a very believable, like strong. It's how can I say it's a it's a strong female character, but not in the physical sense, uh, but in the the relational and the verbal and the social sense. And so that was that was a lot of fun. Right. There are many different ways to be strong. And one of my favorite quotes there, actually, I meant to mention this. This is unfinished business from last month. But in our episode uh, about Return of the King, one of my favorite quotes uh, from Arwen's actress, Liv Tyler, I forget if it was specifically about the Two Towers or Return of the King, but there was an abandoned plot line where they had her turn up at Helm's Deep uh, in order to kick butt uh, with everybody else. And then there was a fan outcry because photos leaked and it was such a drastic departure from the book that they decided to do away with that plot line. And then there she is in the behind the scenes saying, you know, at first I was disappointed, but then I realized there are other ways to show that someone is strong besides putting a sword in her hand. And that's, you know, I'm not a very physically aggressive person either. Uh, so I resonate with that, uh, but yeah. how much more so than with her, would her character uh, resonate with that? And I, I really am now optimistic about Andor. So I'm about a, a year after you told me these things, I still need to catch up with it. So here we go. We're doing more optimism. Uh, even in the, uh, the chapter is supposed to be pessimistic, but you did not see the other Star Wars shows, uh, no. you have fulfilled your vow. <laughs> no more Disney Plus for you. But I'll tell you what, though, Zach, you can now watch Steamboat Willie without a <laughs> Disney Plus subscription. That's In right. Fact, I think I can whistle the tune right here. That's that's the uh, public domain tune now. And you can make a uh, Mickey Mouse say all kinds of uh, based and trad wholesome things you can even uh, make him say a bible verse with ai and yeah. Disney can't do nothing about it so i feel a little sorry for disney here we haven't even talked about wish the cartoon oh, right uh, pfft, yeah when you on. see super mario brothers earning like nearly 1.5 billion dollars and animated films don't cost a lot to make but disney somehow do uh and wish just flopped i I thought maybe it wasn't gonna flop and that all the critics were jumping the gun and declaring it a flop but it was a flop Mm -hmm. um i'm i'm thinking like the simpsons meme was like stop stop he's already dead (laughs) yeah now let me tell you something interesting about disney they released back in november a 100 disc set uh blu-ray to, to celebrate, you know, Disney turning 100 years. Which oh, is did they I now? Are there disclaimers Willie. at the beginning? Like Peter Pan has racist stereotypes. <laughs> I mean, it does, but we didn't need you to tell us that. Right. So it, uh, it's for $1,500. So averaging $15 per disc, but it, that's it's, fair. You know, Snow White, Pinocchio, Fantasia, Dumbo, and so many others. See, when I was a kid, they'd put that stuff in the Disney vault, uh, a mystical right. location in a pocket universe. Right, uh, where all the movies lived until Disney decided to I mean, do there, another. I mean, there's so many, stunt. so many great, you know, the the Robin Hood, Sword in the Stone. I just, I love these movies. Uh, you know, and anytime I see squirrels, I think, oh, there goes King Arthur and Merlin. So that's from uh, that's from the Sword in the Stone, which yeah. I have not actually seen. Oh, it's um, so great. Uh, the Rescuers. Um, didn't see that one, but the rescuers down under is good. I yeah. remember seeing that, although not in theaters. The first Disney movie in theaters I saw was Oliver and Company. Okay, it was the most eighties movie I think that was ever eighties, and yeah. I barely knew it was the eighties because you're in the middle of it. You're I mean, not thinking. This is wow, all their. 80s. It's all their great animation uh, movies, and um, yeah, 
you know, and then the newer ones like Tangled, Frozen, um, uh, Elemental, Hashtag that, Tangled the most recent one. Yeah. Okay. So, so they include the Pixar movies in there as well. So this is a really interesting development to me though, because I think they're acknowledging that, Hey, maybe, uh, not everyone wants a streaming service where they, they pay, maybe they actually want to own things. Maybe we don't want to be in this, uh, pod in the future where we own nothing and yet we are happy. So I, I really like this now. Am I going to go buy this for $1,500? No, but I may go buy some of these, uh, now that, well, assuming they're individually available, uh, again, going back to the, like the sword and the stone, the other, the older ones, um, James Cameron, interestingly, recently just made, uh, several of his, um, classic movies. So it's, uh, the abyss and I think it's Terminator two and aliens all available on a digital 4k. And in March they'll be on uh, blu-ray which also he was, he, he had not made uh, the abyss available since a DVD released 23 years ago, 24 years ago. So I, I think it's a lot of studios are realizing people really want to own these things and not just pay a subscription to be able to watch them at their leisure because we've all canceled subscriptions at some point, And yet we want these movies. We want certain movies. We don't just want all movies. We don't want the fire hose. We, we want to keep these things and pass them on to our kids. Um, okay, Stephen, a, a, a little tangent here. One movie that I did see that I thought was it's kind of in between our chapter one and chapter two. It's I, I would call it a heroic movie in a sense, but uh, but kind of subversive in another sense. It was the creator. Oh, I had a, so many uh, mixed feelings on the creator. Yeah. Now uh, it was it a flop. Well. On a budget of uh, eighty million, it grossed one hundred and four million worldwide. <laughs> it only grossed, uh, I think, forty million uh, domestically, and that's similar to the Indiana Jones, which I just mm-hmm. looked up. It was three hundred something million, only one hundred seventy five million domestically. So that's uh, worldwide, so they, sad. And we didn't see no. Indiana Jones either. We no. just did not care. So the the creator was, I, I was so excited for it. Just like the shift. Cause I'm like, this is an original story. I've never heard of this great marketing, great trailer, really um, interesting philo- philosophical questions yeah. in the trailer too. Right. And uh, a robot know, girl says she's, she can't go to heaven because she's not human. And right. Uh, John David Washington's character can't go to heaven because he's not a good man. Now it's it's funny how the Babylon Bee just recently sort of made fun of the the marketing for it by uh, there was a headline uh, filmmakers uh, create a melancholy haunting version of pop song for a new movie trailer. <laughs> filmmakers seek haunting that trend melancholy has cover been of pop run song. into the ground. It is yeah. true. Yeah, yeah so, almost like all the bombs after the Inception trailer. It still like, gets me. It still gets me every time though. And I I liked so many aspects of that. Now. It, it, so this is a very mild spoiler, but it's essentially the AI version of Dances with Wolves. Yeah, that's true. I was detecting some of the uh, Avatar uh, motifs yeah. in there, which I understand were borrowed from uh, Dances with Wolves, uh, yeah. similar to how Rebel Moon borrowed some Star Wars elements yeah. and some classic Heroes Journey elements. I mean, everybody borrows from everybody, but it, it did take me out a little that a little bit, even though I never that's seen kind of the movie. yeah, that's kind of the moral philosophy of it in a sense, and so. I, I don't agree with the philosophy of the film, but as a, 
it was a very well executed film on so many levels. So, oh, technically proficient, absolutely. So, and, and here's the tr- here's the the bind I'm in, Stephen. I love the execution of the creator, but not the moral philosophy. I love the moral philosophy of the shift, but not the execution. So, oh, man, that, if you could just smash ear. them together, uh, <laughs> the director, the creator, and the director of the shift should talk and maybe combine their strengths instead of their weaknesses. Yeah, bit of a spoiler there with the creator. Like, I know that if I sit there after the credits roll and I'm like, huh, my ultimate opinion of the movie could go one way or another. That's how I felt after The Last Jedi and afterwards my opinion of the movie just cratered. But after The Creator, my opinion remains just straight down the middle. I'm glad I saw it. I'm glad that it is a thing. I'm glad yeah. that the director, um, it, was that Gareth Edwards? No, it wasn't Gareth. It was the director of Rogue One, was yeah, it not? Gareth Edwards, and, yeah. Gareth Edwards, yeah. Uh, and also, was he not the director of Godzilla 2014? Uh, I'd have to go look that up. Um, I'm glad that I saw it. I, I'm glad that it, it did work, I think, as a story. But yeah, philosophically, it was just an absolute mess. And yeah. I think the biggest problem there is that it was completely failing to read the room in the very year when everybody is asking all these questions about AI is going to take over our jobs. Literally, the movie comes along and says, yeah, it's going to take over your jobs and you're the bad guy if you don't like it. <laughs> like That is literally the message of the movie. And then it by was, the end, it you was know, written by chat GPT, possibly. It, it kind of written by the Yeah. And then literally <laughs> by the end, it's like, well, I, for one, welcome our surprisingly spiritual <laughs> robot overlords. Like, yeah, the Buddhist guys, AI. And, uh, yeah, I understand wanting to play against type and subvert expectations. Uh, yeah. But if you're going to show the evil humans doing evil things, then the heroes need to be the extremely nature worshiping, um, you know, primitive, supposedly primitive people in the woods who actually turn out to be wiser and smarter and more spiritual and more in harmony with nature than you. Uh, it doesn't work if you make them robots. It just really doesn't. Uh, the rain rebels, uh, and my brain kind of rebelled, and it was just a very conflicted experience. But so, so would we put that? You said it was writing between chapter one and chapter two. Yeah, I, I think it's a heroic attempt. Uh, but it did get beaten by a real life villain. Um, and we've got a few villains to go over. Like who exactly is beating all these superheroes and other movies that were uh, seemingly very well hyped and even well made, but then just failed. But we'll get to that in just a moment to close us out here. First of all, perhaps hearing about all these great stories and all of these not great stories makes you an aspiring author. Maybe uh, wants to make some better stories. If so, uh, get into that New Year's resolution with the help of our third sponsor, EJ Kitchens, the author behind the I Write How to Write a Novel course. Are you looking for a fun yet challenging writing class for your teen or yourself? I Write How to Write a Novel is an online writing course that will teach you how to write novels that your friends and even strangers will want to read, how to overcome writer's block and gather ideas, and much more. A mentorship option is also available to go along with the course. I Write is taught by E.J. Kitchens, a professional copy editor, former college lab instructor, an award-nominated author of the Star Clock Chronicles and Magic Collectors books. For more information and to enroll, visit ejkitchens.com slash courses. You can also get that link in our show notes for episode 194 or go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. All right, that's enough about good stories, and that's enough about the fact that so many have failed at the theaters. Chapter three, what are our theories about why villains are beating the heroes? I think we've alluded to a lot of these, Zach, is just indifference. Um, you can talk about lockdowns. You can talk about the theaters are failing. There's no 
really legitimate reason for the theaters to be failing other than people don't like what's at the theaters or are indifferent to it or have gotten overwhelmed or there's just bad writing and preachiness and and that takes over stories and it makes them annoying who wants to go to a theater to join your social cause when you can sit at home and get your social cause jollies from the same movie that costs one third that amount and airs on Netflix. I think that's really the greatest reason there. It's literally now 24 years after the fact. I just realized it's almost a direct comparison to why the left behind 1999 movie, the one with Kirk Cameron failed at the theaters because they put it on VHS a few months earlier so that you could have left behind parties at your church and then go see it in theaters. It was completely backwards. You're supposed to put stuff on the plastic video cassette after it's been in theaters, because then it's an exclusive experience. I was extremely disappointed. Of course, I never saw the 1999 Left Behind movie in theaters. And I think that's the same version now. Instead of video cassettes, though, it's on streaming, and it may not even be the same movie. There's just so much that's distracting you. And even if you're talking about movies and shows and not even talking about games, short videos, uh, all of those little apps that people are getting into. And by the way, those apps are shortening their attention spans. When I talk to the young people, I hear them speak and they're very self-aware about it. Bless their hearts. They're speaking about their own shortened attention spans. Two hour movies are a difficult slog for them. A three hour movie is almost impossible. And a four hour movie, absolutely beyond the pale. Return of the King, by the way, four hours, 20 minutes worth every second. But uh, I would have a real chore trying to get some people to watch that at home with me, which we'll be doing in a couple of weeks here. Superhero fatigue, of course, is a thing. People are just tired of the genre. They feel like it's homework. It's not cool anymore. The superheroes are a dime a dozen. And again, why should you go to the theater? Uh, it's been cheapened now. You can see Loki at home with your Disney Plus subscription you already got for your kids if you want to. It's not special to see Loki anymore. Tom Hiddleston's terrific, but there's something lost when he's relegated to the small screen uh, instead of the big screen. Um, oversaturation. I mean, a lot of this stuff you've already heard about, uh, there's just too much to keep up with. But I think apart from that, I, I think people would be willing to keep up with it. I know that I would, if the stories were at least good, but now we've got quantity over quality. Uh, and even Bob Iger, the Disney CEO is saying so out loud. So if it's gotten all the way up there, then it's basically fact their internals and externals are showing it. Uh, time will tell whether or not they're actually going to correct for that. I think a lot of these shows just feel very disposable. Uh, streaming shows feel disposable no matter how expensive they look or act. And I think people just get sick of it, along with the fact that uh, a lot of the streaming services are running out of money. Uh, they were building their streaming house on a bed of sand instead of on a rock. Netflix seems to be the only one who's able to turn a profit even while carrying a mountain of debt. All the other ones, uh, Max, uh, Paramount, Disney+, Plus, they are all deep, deep, deep in the red with no sign of improvement. It's interesting to talk about the financials there um, and to declare Netflix, Netflix, I think I think I think I saw Variety or something said, yeah, Netflix is basically the winner. Um, and oddly enough, compared to all the other stuff, Netflix seems to be at least have a strong uh, stream of anti uh, woke, a strong, strong streak of anti woke in it, along with the woke stuff you put on there. So they kind of want to have their cake and eat it, too. And fans seem to be pretty forgiving. Of course, there's a lot of woke criticisms that go on. Some of them are not fair. I heard both sides about the Barbie movie. I, I hear people say that Rebel Moon was woke. It was not woke. They're going to make it too violent and pornified for the extended cut. So peace, I'm out. I don't want that, but I don't think it has anything to do with being woke. Uh, they actually show an interesting take on the whole female warrior as a tragic figure who's been taken away from her purpose. So 
they too kind of want to have their cake and eat it too. Oh, here's a cool kick butt female action hero, but also you know, like like some of those anime, like it's actually really tragic that she was taken away from her uh, original purpose as a woman. Uh, whether or not stuff is woke or feminist or whatever, there's the perception that it is, and so stories have to signal that they're not. But then they risk, you know, alienating somebody else, probably in the creative staff. So they're really in a lose-lose situation. But Zach, now we come to the part, and I'm curious about your theories about this. Why in the world, given that it's so obvious that these kinds of movies do not make money, you know, all these possibly offensive terms like girl boss and like all that stuff, like they're aware of these uh, terms being flung about by critics. Why in the world then do corporate lackeys or well, corporate heads really like Kathleen Kennedy and some of these others, like why are they doubling down? Why do they seem to want to lose money? And I guess I'd start that with maybe a little bit of leading thing. It's just a reminder, guys, these people are humans too. They don't just want money. <laughs> There's other things they want too. I mean, do you, do you want the, the clinical uh, technical opinion or do you want the conspiracy theory opinion? Because let's go I, I for the conspiracy okay. opinion first. So this new director that's going to be uh, helming the uh, Ray Skywalker film, the feminist. Ostensibly, activist. there's so many Star Wars announcements yeah. that just got canned when you weren't looking. She is a filmmaker with the World Economic Forum, uh, which is a very dun, subversive dun, dun. Yeah, organization. And it it is driving, you know, the ESG movement. It's driving all kinds of things uh, and basically turning corporations into uh, identitarian factories and, and all these kind of things. And so th- pushing a very radical agenda through major institutions. And so uh, I, I forget if Kathleen Kennedy has any kind of connection with them, but this director does from what I've just read. But I, I, you can see the, um, the tentacles of the WF in a lot of these kind of studio decisions where it, it just doesn't make any sense other than pushing some agenda or another. Now, I also think that a lot of these studio heads live in echo chambers. Now, here's the interesting thing. They don't necessarily have to anymore, right? Because they can get on social media and get dunked on from... <laughs> Joe Blow, uh, Pepe Frog account guy. Uh, but a lot of them stay off of social media. They have their assistants do it. Uh, from what I read years ago, even George Lucas didn't even have email. Uh, he he didn't want to just deal with internet communication whatsoever. No, Christopher Nolan is much the same. Yeah. So, but I, I think they live in some kind of uh, echo chamber of, of some variety surrounded by yes men um and just this very insular you know socio-political environment so because yeah it but surely they would be reading these headlines like i i just and read seeing one, their own ledgers seeing right. their own failed records like i just read an article where uh from the rap which was trying to defend Kathleen Kennedy from Ben Shapiro of all people. Oh, what a mean guy Ben Shapiro is. And they're trying to, you know, dunk on him in this article. And, you know, so all, all of the main, uh, the mainstream publications do this. They circle the wagons around these, uh, you know, cultural heroes like Kathleen Kennedy and whoever. So she has to be aware that she's controversial, but I, I think it's sort of that persecution complex of like, well, if, if they're, 
you know, if people are against me, I must be doing the right thing. I, I, I don't know. I, I can't get inside her head. I, I mostly just ignore what, you know, she says or whatever. I, I just, I look at the decisions being made. Now she's kept on Dave Filoni, who seems to be doing a great job. Uh, even as I've not watched new star Wars, I've heard a lot of good things about Dave Filoni, uh, from our own Lorehaven team. Um, Jeneth Dick is very excited for Dave Filoni's content. So, okay, maybe that will eventually win out. And again, if we want to stay optimistic, sure. Why not? I, I don't think we've hit peak woke as a lot of people are asking. Now you, you see other things developing in culture, like the resignation of this, uh, president of Harvard who got caught in plagiarism over 50 times, I think in eight different papers or something and put in place basically for all these, you know, DEI reasons. And now people are thinking, you know, maybe this isn't the way to advance culture is through these uh, identitarian reasons. Maybe we should go back to just meritocracy. (laughs) Like, who has the best ideas, who has the best product, who, who makes the best widget, you know, and, and we, we go according to that. Uh, but you know, I, I want to go back to something you said a minute ago about attention span. Is that just a little less controversial? I actually wonder about this. Do people have less attention span or not? Because so many podcasts now are like two or three or four hours. Even a lot of TikTok videos can be quite long. Now they have this very jarring editing style on a lot of TikTok videos and a lot of podcasts are, are visual and they have a lot of multi cameras, but a lot of young people are watching these too. I, I think it, it's really just a matter of whether a creator of a film, a book, podcast, TV show can find and respect their audience. And I, I think what really turns people off more than the attention span is feeling disrespected. Oh, that's true. And I think that would apply to a lot of different audiences here. Uh, Audiences will forgive even changes to canon if they feel they are being respected and that their feelings like often are based on accuracy. For example, I mentioned the one piece show. There are some subplots in one piece that are drastically different from the original, but arguably they mark an improvement. I will actually go out and say that. And then there are actually some characters in One Piece who look different than their original manga or anime equivalent. Fans don't care. They are perfectly fine with that. Why? Because the story keeps the themes of the original, uh, doubles down on those rather than doubles down on the insult of its own fan base. And yeah. so it ends up working. So it, it subverts a lot of the dumb lines that some of these uh, co- corporate overlords attempt when their products are not well received and then they just call everybody racist because they didn't like the way that the certain cast member looked like fans will easily forgive that if you are going above and beyond to show that you love this story uh the original version of it as as much as the fans do so that's averted here's actually a well all in on a positive note ghostbusters afterlife okay so this was a 2021 film but it was I just watched it recently and it was a gigantic Mia culpa to the Ghostbusters 2016 film that everyone hated. <laughs> mea because, culpa two or mea, mea culpa about? Because I understood it was kind of a um, course correction. That, that's more what I'm trying to say. I don't know if gotcha. I'm using the right term here, but it, it was very much them realizing, whoa, we really blew it with our fan base. Let's start over. 
let's bring in the original characters in a in a uh, interesting, respectful, but kind of surprising way. Uh, so I, I won't give spoilers, even though it's been out for two years. Uh, and it it did bring in you know more female characters, but again in a in a good way, and and not a oh I just want to make men uncomfortable type way. The the main and it brought in kids, and that made it fun. It's one of the Stranger Things actors. It had the uh, I just went blank. The guy from Ant Man. Oh, Paul, Paul Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd. That's yeah. Him. So he he plays a, a great character in this. It it brought back all the things you loved about the original Ghostbusters. And, and really it, it felt, I felt respected as a OG Ghostbusters fan. I, I had a, you know, cardboard proton pack that I wore for Halloween in the eighties. Um, I watched that a million times. I probably shouldn't have, cause it really should have been like PG 13 or. Yeah. Whatever. I was one of those PG yeah. wink, wink movies right, um, right. before they had that rating. Yeah. But that, I mean, the original Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters two is, was phenomenal. Uh, the Ghostbusters cartoon, amazing. And so this uh, very much had the feel of those. It, it didn't feel like they were just trying to uh, wear Ghostbusters around as a skin suit for some other kind of agenda. It, it really felt like a continuation of the story. Maybe too much at times, like too much like trying to tie in everything in. A, a little bit forced, but I, I I'm okay with that. And there were some things they got a little bit wrong and even just some uh, continuity problems that I, I caught. But like you said, I didn't mind because I felt like, okay, as a fan, I'm being respected. And so I'm going to keep watching. So that's a better franchise than our release. I guess there's a good new one coming out next year too. So yeah. maybe we'll uh, list that as a well, hit. Yeah, this Although, year actually. That's Oh, this year. Well, it is this year now. That's yeah, right. right. <laughs> I, I need to stop writing 2023 <laughs> on my checks. Uh, so, um, all optimism then for the Ghostbusters fandom. I am outside that fandom, so uh, I'll just be looking in and hoping that y'all uh, get what you would like there. I guess I will wrap up too and just try to answer or at least start an answer. Maybe we need to pick this up in a, a sequel episode as to why when these movies flop so hard, like when fans absolutely, like largely abhor, actual Star Wars fans, for example, abhor uh, the overall direction of that franchise with maybe the exception of Mandalorian seasons one and two. Why in the world do the people in charge keep doubling down on the nonsense? Well, there's the conspiracy-ish angle that Zach mentioned, but I I think it's enough to say that whether or not you believe that the WEF is going to take over the world or something like, there are incentives, financial incentives that you can't see that go beyond uh, the box office earnings. Like, okay, maybe you make um, an Indiana Jones movie that's kind of so-so and it cost you $300 million and it barely got you $150 million but maybe you got some kind of payment. I don't mean like, you know, somebody slipped you a check for four billion and said, Hey, I want you to make a very bad uh, Indiana Jones movie. 400 million. I mean, Uh, I don't think it's as uh, ridiculous as that, but I think that they're just incentives. There are incentives. uh, There's, you know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Uh, But I think, however, apart from the finance stuff, I think the incentives are not just financial. And I think I can actually argue this and respect the humanity of these creators and producers and executives more with this theory. And it's just a basic observation of human nature. People aren't just driven by greed. No, they're not. Uh, There's many complex motives that people have, whether they're good, evil, or somewhere in between. People want all kinds of stuff. Acceptance, wealth, absolutely. They want love. 
Some people go all egomaniacal and they want power. Uh, they want control over their lives. They want security for their families. There's all kinds of different motives. One of the things that people want, everybody wants, that we don't often talk about is to be declared righteous. This is an assumption behind a biblical worldview is that people want to be morally right. Even the bad guys want to be justified in what they're doing. So people don't just want money. They want to be right. And they want to be right because there's a little voice inside them, however much they suppress it, that keeps saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. So people want to drown out the voice and go out and hear somebody who's louder tell them, you're right, you're right, you're right. I don't know anything about uh, the Star Wars lady or any of these people, and I'm not going to speculate about their heart motives. Zach, I think it was great when you mentioned earlier, you can't speculate about that or, or you can't know that. But I will speculate a little, just basic human nature. Everybody wants to be declared right. Well, whether they call it woke or whatever, what do these folks do who come along and say about your stories? You know, you're one of those greedy Hollywood people. You don't really care about what's right deep down. You just care about making money. What's the effect of hearing that over and over across the generations and then entering that system and carrying that assumption with you that you used to believe about the people ahead of you? No, they only care about money. Well, I want to be different. Yeah, money's okay, but I want to be declared righteous. So whether it's that obvious motive or a subtle version of it, there are incentives to hire people who don't know nothing about Star Wars or are just in it for the agenda uh, or who are just kind of uh, adjunct to the whole fandom. And you know, they're just being hired because of other reasons, identity reasons, but maybe they make a movie that fails. Doesn't matter. You got declared righteous. You got to be one of the good guys and you actually proved to the wonderful people in your uh, morally virtuous social circles that you're going to make the tough call. And you're above that sort of greed uh, that your forebears kept falling for. So I wouldn't discount that as a possible explanation. And if, if, if that was too long-winded an explanation, just remember there's more than one way to get paid. There's more than one kind of currency in the world. There's the good old-fashioned American dollars or cryptocurrency or whatever. Uh, but there's also moral value points. The social credit system is already here. Uh, it's just uh, extremely virtual and imaginary. And yet uh, those points pay off for a lot of people who are trying to suppress uh, that uh, ever-shrinking voice of the conscience. Uh, the conscience, given by the Holy Spirit, uh, needs to tell you that you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Don't turn to the fake morality uh, enforcers out there. Turn to Jesus Christ instead. And that's why I think that Christians or people who think a little bit like Christians have a better chance of making better stories because they've already dealt with that voice, at least the Christians have. And then unless they're co-opted into some kind of like extremely ministry pragmatic view of storytelling, they stand a better chance of actually respecting humanity and respecting the fans. So that's why we're a little more optimistic about Christian-made media and uh, mixed at best about the more general popular culture stuff that we see. Well, in the comm station, we got a couple notes on a previous episode, 192, 20 years ago. How did Return of the King rule the movies? Kirk sent us an email and said, fantastic podcast. And as a Tolkien nerd myself, I appreciated all the references to the actual books, as well as the focus on true heroes and good and evil. I read The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings when I was in third and fourth grade. And Tolkien's worldview and setting informs my own writing and fantasy milieu. Great stuff. Keep up the good work. End quote. 
Well, thank you, Kirk. And actually, that it's funny that you would say all this because I've been debating recently whether to let my second and fourth grader read The Hobbit or even The Lord of the Rings. I, I'm settling on the graphic novel of The Hobbit. My second grader started reading that, and then we had to return it to the library. But he, was, he really liked that because he's much more into graphic novels. I, I'm kind of only going on my own experience of reading The Hobbit first in sixth grade and then The Lord of the Rings in seventh and eighth grade. Uh, but that's really cool to know that you were able to pick it up that early. And, it, and it's, you make a really good point too about how the, you know, the good and evil uh, that's clearly portrayed in that story help shape a biblical worldview. And it's great to give that to kids. We also got an email from Jason Brown about that episode who said, quote, low gents in regards to the last episode, it was revealed through some YouTube video that Peter Jackson had been hinting at some surprise for the movie's 25th anniversary. The big fan theory is a possible extension of the movie series. That might go well with the recently announced anime movie War of the Rohirrim. As for Lawhead, I've been reading his book since he released his time-traveling Bright Empire series. With that said, longtime fans of, of his hope that with this Lawhead renaissance, as it were, the next series of his to be adapted may be his song of Albion Trilogy, which I would be okay with. Anyway, I should get back to reading The Pendragon Cycle before the show comes out. Take care and God bless this year. End quote. Well, that's really cool to, to uh, hear from another Lawhead super fan. And so that's, again, this was not my fandom. Uh, and it sounds, you know, from everything I can hear that the series is getting a faithful adaptation. Um, and, and really trying to bring out the, the values that everyone liked in that series, unlike uh, Wheel of Time. But uh, yeah, Stephen, we didn't even talk about Rings of Power and how. Well, that was last year um, anyway. It was last year, but talking about that, it kind of blends together. Just happened this year is that my Amazon Prime membership uh, just went up or effectively went up because now to watch Prime Video, I will have to watch ads unless I want to pay to make them go away. And that's because prime video also seems to be in the red, probably because of rings of power, not doing and so the wheel well. of time and so yes. many other shows, all these expensive shows. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I am looking forward. We're probably just a, a decade or so out, maybe even shorter, uh, in these, uh, expose type books about all the skullduggery that went on with people desperately trying to throw together their streaming series. Uh, I think there's no end to the corruption that we're going to be hearing about. Oh, yeah. I'm not accusing anybody. I'm just, there's something dirty in the state of the streaming empires. Uh, and uh, it's going to start coming there's gotta out. There's got to be some money laundering going on. Almost just, certainly it, there's it doesn't, money laundering. It doesn't add up. Right. It it just doesn't, you know, they, they thought that they'd found uh, the, the money printing tree and it does not work. And now some of these are getting chopped down and fans are going to flee and they're going to go back. <laughs> some of the cable companies might be getting in the last laugh, maybe blockbuster video, oh, uh, whatever one is still I, open. I would, I would love to live in the timeline that blockbuster comes back. You know, somebody's going to bring it back, but it's going to be like a scaled down model, you know, like uh, Nintendo <laughs> releasing like the, uh, the NES, you know, when it's yeah. like the one system with like 5,000 games on there its hard drive or something. Now, what do you think about this, uh, the, the possible mo uh, movie for the war of the Rohirrim? The Did War of the Rohirrim, yeah. I, I now, can't say that name There's right been no trailer. There's been no news about it whatsoever. But I'm optimistic because it is uh, Philippa Boyens, last I checked, the original writer of The Lord of the Rings. Uh, she knows the books. Uh, she's one of those people who can kind of keep uh, Peter Jackson in check, and rightfully so. 
Um, and it's going to be set in the continuity of the films anyway. Um, it's going to follow an interesting backstory that is based on Tolkien's appendices, but has plenty of room to be fleshed out. So will we get this kind of different take on the Lord of the Rings prequel, uh, or is it going to be more like the worst moments of the Hobbit movies? I don't know. I'm just waiting on a trailer, but I am not intrinsically opposed to the idea of it being animated. In fact, it could really add something different. It could go really wrong or it could go really right. But if they keep that ethos that we talked about in episode 192 of not putting their own political messages into it, but respecting Tolkien's themes, even if they change his characters and condense a lot of his events, uh, then I think it has a better chance than none. Anyway, listener, what was your favorite or disliked movie or show of 2023? We want to hear about your best and worst list for the last year. So send us a note, podcast at lorehaven.com, like our last two uh, correspondents did. Or you can leave a comment at lorehaven.com for this episode or tag us at lorehaven on the socials. We're on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and uh, the platform formerly known as Twitter that we still call Twitter. Next on Fantastical Truth, I don't know. It's a holiday break and we are still catching up. We have ideas, but we are booking guests and we're still catching up. Uh, This topic, though, this one may open up some future episodes uh, about how Christians ought to discern this new and rather sad, flailing uh, popular culture uh, world of franchises. But we need good guests for a topic like that. So we're reaching out to people, uh, people who have demonstrated firm yet balanced views on this subject. Uh, Meanwhile, while we are canceling our streaming services and uh, trying not to spend so much time on the screens, we are making reader resolutions and hitting the books. So you can expect in our 2024 season at Lorehaven, we're going to share the best Christian-made fantastical novels that we've found and also have their authors on the podcast. Meanwhile, whether or not you loved every movie that we (laughs) critiqued on this episode or you agree with us or you have a more mixed opinion, uh, this is all such secondary matters that I think it should be one of the safest non-controversial things that we talk about. Ultimately, a lot of this stuff is fairly subjective, and we do believe that discerning Christians can watch a lot of this stuff even if they don't enjoy it. But let's uh, let's use our time wisely this year. Uh, That's always a good resolution, however that looks for you. Generally, reading is better than watching, but let's keep an eye out for great stories, whether they're on the screen or on the page, as we continue to seek and find Christ's fantastical truth.